Hello, and welcome to Saturday, a podcast for sads and gays. I'm kind of Kyle, but you can call me tonight. Today's episode is dedicated to gender, non-binariness, and TikTok creators. In this episode, you will notice a huge difference in sound quality from what you're hearing now. That is because I am a stupid bitch gay trash can. Please don't punish me, daddy. I promise to do better. Without further wet-ass pussy, here's this week's episode of Saturday. I am here today with artist, educator, TikTok creator, and gender consultant, Matisse Dupont. She has a master's degree in gender and cultural studies from Simmons University. And today they will be talking with me about all things queer that bring us together here at Saturday slash Saturday, because that is the pending name of this episode. Matisse. Yes. Thank you so much. Hi. Hi. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. What a treat. It is an honor. So I discovered you through TikTok. um, Oh, the clock app. Yes, the clock, the clickety clock app. As one does, I really find that TikTok is doing a great job of bringing queer creators together, especially queer educators. So I was wondering what brought you to TikTok personally? Yeah, um, well, I was in grad school and needed things to do between highlighting stuff. (laughs) And so I just I just gravitated to it. I found it. I thought it was an interesting platform. I thought it was just it was I thought it was right for analysis. So I actually wrote about it. And also like the decline of Vine a lot in grad school. And I just thought it was a fascinating place. I didn't, I tried making content at first and then it was such a bust. And then you know how TikTok works. If you don't, if your first videos aren't success, they just like can them forever. So Mm -hmm. uh, after like two years of having an account, they're like so long. I like restarted it this last fall just because I was like, let's let's give this the, the actual good old college try. I've seen enough TikTok. I know how to do it. I know how it works. Let's do this for real Z's. And so then I uh yeah, but I've been I've been on it for a minute and I really think it's a fascinating platform. So you have your master's degree in gender and cultural studies and TikTok has been a good space for you to use that expertise that you have. How have you seen, so there is a lot of discourse in the online community about gender. Some of it very supportive. I often think potentially controversial opinion. I think a lot of queer people within their own community can gatekeep gender identities and can be very ostracizing in many ways in online spaces. Um, Regardless of my opinion, how has the internet culture expanded conversations in, um, on gender in your perspective? Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I think for the last 10 years or so, like the rumblings of queer and gender and feminist theory have finally like eked their way into mainstream discourse around gender. Like a lot of the things people are just starting to start thinking of, think about these days on in online spaces. People have been like really working through them since the late seventies, early eighties. Like, and so it's interesting coming in as someone who's like done the readings 
and done the homework of all the people who've been doing this for decades and decades and decades. And then coming into the space where people are just coming to these conversations for the first time, thinking that they're saying something very original and unique. And I mean, I think it's because I'm very much like a postmodernist or post-structuralist. I don't think anything's particularly unique. I am very much like, anyways, um, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I love TikTok separately is because of the whole like complete re, re like remixing of any and all piece of cultural artifact and media is like one of my favorite parts of TikTok, but that's besides the point. Anyways, so I think it's just been really interesting seeing people come in and knowing that the queer community is at so many different points and have very different points of reference for like what identities mean or what queerness means like all of them have such different points of view and then they react from their points of view you know oftentimes from their own experience versus having done any sort of like looking into what other people have said before which is fine like I think coming from your own personal perspective is a phenomenal way to approach anything I don't want to say that those people are like wrong I'm just saying like there's other ways to do it and I um Uh, So I think that's when I think about discourse, it's really a lot of it is like people talking from the heart and from their own personal experience and how that can be great. That's a really great way to come up with new ideas sometimes. And then sometimes it's also, it lacks nuance. You know, your own perspective isn't the whole truth of anything. Like there's no one particular perspective that will grant the most ultimate true version of anything. It's always like needs to be a discussion. So I think that that's when I think about online discourse of gender or sexual uh, sexuality or identity more broadly, it's, it's just really what I'm noticing is people are coming from such different knowledge bases and then they try to talk to each other and they're using the same words, but they have very different definitions for the same words and people are arguing and like you were saying, gatekeeping. And yeah, it's just, it's a, it's an interesting place because so many people are coming from so many perspectives, having different like time contingent understandings of concepts. And then it's just like, it's like, okay, I used to live, my dad lived in Orlando for a little while and uh, I would go home to like an undergrad to college to visit. And one of the things about Orlando is no one's from Orlando. Like there are some people who are from Orlando, but like no one's from there. And so the traffic was out of control because no one had the same driving style at all. Like, and the highway was always, every time we went anywhere, there was car crashes because just literally everyone was driving their own regional way. And then no one was, there was no one, you like, you know, if you move to Boston, you learn to be aggressive fast when you're driving. Absolutely. Right. But then there that since there's no one style it's just there are car crashes and accidents everywhere and i feel like the way discourse happens on tiktok is like that it's everyone's coming from their own their own world which is fair but then they come together and there's there's highway accidents left and right that is an incredible metaphor and a hundred percent accurate it's really interesting just the way different conversations happen Particularly on TikTok, but if you think of different, everyone says how like TikTok is, you know, modern Tumblr. Yeah, which I I agree, but I also think different too. Very similar. Very different. There's no porn. There's no porn, and it there should be because then I would be censored less. 
<laughs> and I would be able to say fag liberally. Yeah, exactly. I think um, I, I also I think it's really interesting how like sex negative Gen Z is like the babies are like so the baby queers are like like so sex neutral into sex negative that it's sort of like come on where's the the raunch babies like come on and I think it's once again like when I was coming into it I got Judith Butler and the next was like some a gif of someone like barebacking the next person raw and you're like okay like and then there was like a a sunset photo and then like some (laughs) some fandom art and then you're back to some like critical race studies theory and you're like that was an incredible environment I think Twitter is more similar to that vibe right Mm -hmm. now because um but also Twitter is its own special hellscape too right Twitter I avoid because I'm worried particularly there about harassment but yes, I agree with, I, so, I mean, I'm, I'm approaching 30, so I'm going to have a hair across my ass regardless. The. Yes. Same. <laughs> I'm turning 30 next year. Yeah. I feel you go mm-hmm. on, go on. Yeah. So I agree with you about the sex neutrality. And I think that's affecting my content because my content is always, it's always sexual that's censored. And I re- like, I don't want my account banned on TikTok, but also like, I refuse to like make myself smaller and sex neutral to create a space for like my space is dedicate my space. My space is dedicated to like queer people and sexuality is a part of that for a lot of queer people. Um, And I don't want to deny that. I refuse to do that. And I do see that not to generalize, but I do see a lot of sex neutral Gen Z uh, people online. When we went online, I, I don't know if, you know, I'm speaking from my own experience, but I'm sure you remember it too. There was like Omegle, there was like all of these websites. It was- Oh hell. my God. It was the Wild well, West. It was the Wild West. And I also, I think culturally, I, like when I was a teenager back in the late 2000s, right? Into mm-hmm. the early 2010s, like if you turn on the radio- SM by Rihanna was playing. Like culturally, right. it was a very like sexual time period. Mm-hmm. Like people were just like Lady Gaga's disco stick, right? Like literally all we were doing was talking about fucking. There are all these sites. People were just like, yeah, like Omega, all these things, like Manhunt, uh, but like the pre-grinder, right? Like there was mm-hmm. just so there was just so it was just part of the culture. Like people were just people, and I also like, I don't know. I am like, are the teens fucking? Not that it's my business, but like when I was in high school, everyone was like, there was all the drama of who's fucking who constantly. And I'm like, are are they just not doing that? Like, are they, are they not? Like, who knows? Like, it's right. just like, um, it, it's definitely, I think a different time period. It feels so puritanical, but also so like liberated in like other senses. And it's a, it's a real, it's a real conundrum. Would it be fair to say you know, based on, you know, because I also, not to make this about me, but it is my podcast, but. Um, oh my God. Yeah. To add your voice. Go. Yeah, thank you. Um, I also, I'm currently in the PhD. I have a background. I'm currently studying queer and feminist aesthetics. So I have a background in women and gender studies too. Not solely focused on that. It's more of a literature background, but would you say, or could we potentially say, or ruminate on this idea that Gen Z or maybe, you know, this current discourse is more gender positive and gender open 
and more neutral on sexuality are still trying to figure out the discourse on sexuality. I think that's true. I think that definitely like this, there's been a focus on gender and also people have taken it very seriously. The idea that gender and sexuality are two completely separate, distinct things that have nothing to do with each other, which is like a rhetoric that's like, you know, gender theory 101 that you might learn like on the internet sometimes, but it's just like, it erases the fact that like, why do people do gender presentation? A lot of time it's about attraction and sexuality. Like it's like, it's so much more intertwined. And this generation has like rhetorically taken their distinction so seriously that now maybe it's becoming true, which is kind of, there's also an article. I haven't, I haven't read it, but a friend of mine, everyone out there, if you read it, let me know if, if I should read it or not. Um, I, I should get around to it. I should. It's called Everyone is Beautiful and No One is Fucking. And it's about this uh, this whole, like, basically, like, everyone looks gorgeous. There's all the aesthetic. It's, like, funny because there's, like, so much nudity and there's, like, the aesthetics of sex. Like, everyone's wearing harnesses and bondage gear and, like, latex and leather and all these hyper, formerly hyper-sexualized aesthetic components are now like you're free to like do them as much as you want but then it's like it they're also not sexy anymore and i'm like i miss the time when like a harness was a sexy thing and it can be but also now it's just like a a neutral thing to wear and i'm like that's great and also like it's something i mean maybe i'm just nostalgic but i think it's fascinating yeah no i i find that a lot too when you were talking about you know the distinctions and the nuances of gender and sexuality, I got chills down my spine because we don't talk about that. We put gender and sexuality in a binary. And as particularly non-binary people, shouldn't we be undoing all binaries? Shouldn't we apply more nuance to the things that we were taught to nuance? Um, I often think that, you know, gender, so a lot of, I mean, Gen Z and I would say millennials too, you know, their queer awakening uh, often came for the privileged few, came from, you know, going to college and yeah, taking absolutely queer theory true. course, you know? That's why they say with a lot of people, it's like, what radicalized you? It's like, that radicalized particularly white <laughs> queer people. Um, it did, yeah. And Tumblr. And Tumblr. And Tumblr, exactly. Which is why what you do and what Tumblr does is so important. Um, well... And also, I didn't actually take a queer theory course in undergrad. I took one gender studies course in the very end of it. I talked about gender and linguistics. I was a linguistics major. Um, and But I got the heavy theory back then on Tumblr. Like, we were linked to the PDFs. Like, you know what I mean? TikTok is like, it's all, it's all like, it's all discourse, no, like, no nuance, no, there basically there's no theory. Like, that's. It's just no, regurgitating what they've heard, it feels like. Right. And that, right. that's what lacks the nuance, which is why, and I've seen you, and I, I talk about her all the time, I've seen you use her audio before. ContraPoints is such an icon to me because she nuanced very difficult, very dark issues that people were afraid to talk about, or they were just speaking about it in a way that was very Tumblr, very Reddit, 
you know, I just want to please the crowd <laughs> type of way. Yeah, I think about her most recent video where she does, she's dressed as like a cat girl Supreme Court judge and does like a breakdown on Nietzsche's notion of like servant and master rhetorics of like justice and morality, which is like, how do you do that? And she's doing a mukbang eating a whole plate full of sushi or she like tries to and she like gives up. She's like, fuck this. Let's talk about Nietzsche more. But it's just, yeah, I agree. I love ContraPoints. I think she's a phenomenal example of you know, someone who's able to, to educate, be entertaining and be thought provoking, say something that's uh, a new remix on old ideas. Right. Like I think that's sort of um, versus a complete just parroting. And also I think the form that she chooses, which are very long form videos lends itself to that. And I think one of the other issues, and once again, I think a lot of these things that we're claiming are generational, like I think a lot about how Basically, Gen Z is just doing what like the de-sex, the, like, the less sexy version of everything queer millennials were doing. Like generational divides don't aren't universal. I, that, anyways, right. they're not like a another binary. side point. They're not. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I just think that she's also going to a form where you're able to do it. Whereas if you're trying to fit everything into a 15 second clip. How, how could you possibly include nuance? Like, I feel like I've developed a skill trying to do that as best as I can, but I, I falter because it's impossible. It's an impossible task. It's very hard to do that. And then you, and people are very quick to comment <laughs> to point oh, out absolutely. the lack of nuance um, and to stitch. That's why sometimes I don't offer the stitch in my videos because I'm like, I know the nuance I need to add, I'm not ready for your attack right now. You can comment and we can discuss. Yeah. I've only been like, like stitched in that sort of way, like once or twice. I think, I don't know if people are like, I feel like I just, so okay, actually I just recently left, left a job. Um, the trans emergency fund. If you are out there and want and have some extra money around donate to the transgender emergency fund. I love them. Mm. I was doing social media for them for a while. I, I left just cause I wanted to try new things, but um when I was leaving, I did my extra interview. And one thing that my, my boss was giving me feedback on was sometimes I say things too confidently upfront. And then I'm like, and what do you think? And then everyone's too afraid to actually say something. And I feel like I don't get a lot of stitches because of that energy where I like mm -hmm. declare something. And I'm like, I know about this. I am confident in saying it. And I think a lot of people don't want to fight me. Not yeah. that I would fight back because I'm not actually very combative at all. I just think that that's, but the only time I've been stitched like for like criticism was mostly turfs. Some turfs have popped in to be really stitchy, but it's, it's okay. It's just a wild ride, isn't it? Right. They're really quick to comment. They're really quick to comment to remind me of the gender that they perceive me as. Um, love that. Got to give yeah. your haters some credit sometimes. You have ways of doing this, of trying to do this nuance. And I noticed there's been a recent series and I forget what you've been calling it, but I think it's like, it pertains specifically to gender and identity. And I had a quote from you and let me see where this is. It was, 
Yes, I feel all sorts of ways. This was from a video, if you don't mind me quoting. Um, go ahead, go ahead. I feel all sorts of ways about the identitarian centricness of how we talk about gender and sexuality here in online spaces. You referenced that a little bit earlier, which I loved. Again, chills. Um, why, like, why have that conversation for nuance and why make that a series? You made that an eight part series. Yeah, I just, it was more like, I actually tried, I had like a one minute version where I tried to also make my points and I ended up, and that was like the first like five seconds of that video. Like I made like a full minute trying to like make all my points succinctly and clearly. And at the last minute I went to go post it. And then I was like, no. And I cut it down to just that one part because I was like, this will get attention maybe. And if it does, then I can see if there is an audience who would want to hear more about this. And so that's exactly what I did. I basically, I waited to see it did go viral because I was, I looked amazing and I was speaking with a very like sassy tone. I knew that it was speaking of. Yeah. What? The confidence you were speaking of before that queer confidence. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was hoping it would get enough attention for me to get the green light for myself to actually say more. And so I ended up just, yeah, I guess I, I just, it turned out to be eight parts just because I, it wasn't in, it planned to be eight parts. I just sort of kept r- talking about them one minute at a time, trying to articulate different points and perspectives. Cause I also, once again, like eight minutes is much easier to have nuance than a three minute video. Right. So, and not that everyone watched all eight parts and also a lot of people only watched one part and were like, oh my God, how could you say that? And I was like, have you not, obviously you didn't watch the rest of it. It's fine. You don't have to, but like, um, yeah. And so, yeah, I just think that that's, uh, it was, it was a fun series to do. I think I just like needed to get things off my chest about once again, like coming online after I was still online during, but like coming online, reemerging after like getting an education in the subject that people are like, have a lot of personal feelings about and want to talk about all the time. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It was, yeah, it was definitely culture shock coming back. So anyways, that was just me getting things off my chest that I've just been like thinking and having conversations with, with my actual real life friends. Yeah. No, and I have those conversations too. Do you think in terms of the ways we discuss about uh, gender and sexuality, do you think we focus too much on that as an identity category? Or is it that where, or I don't need to put this in an either or situation. So do you think we put too much emphasis on that as an identity category and how we move about life? Or is it possible that we might be having circular conversations and need to think of a way outside of that circular conversation. I think it's that people are not are because people with marginalized gender and sexualities are marginalized, right? And and often oppressed because of that marginalization, we we fall into the traps of like needing to be defensive about how we talk about ourselves, right? And so and from like, a, for real great reasons, not like defensive, just like, oh my God, you're like just being so defensive. Like, no, like genuinely like 
putting up defenses because there's actual attacks on you, right? That kind of defensiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that this identity focused is a combination of, you know, needing to defend identities. And also I think a certain level of like people li- being limited to their own lenses and perspectives. And so it's easy to, you know, if there's a culture that's saying you're not really gay and you're like, yeah, I am gay. And then also you just, all you want to reference is your own personal stories and your own personal experiences, which is once again, a fine way to create narratives and theory or whatever. But I think that though it's like been a perfect storm plus with a couple other things, right. With like the history of needing to claim that people are born a particular way because of, uh, I think it's jurisprudence, if I believe is the word for it. It's the fact that our legal system is based in precedence and, you know, any sort of civil rights movement, it needs to be based on the precedent set by the 60s civil rights movement, which was, you know, that you shouldn't discriminate by race because it's like an immutable quality in a person, which is true about skin tone and like facial features for the most part. And of course you can change things, right? But that's, it's a more solid thing than whether or not you're wearing dresses or whether or not you're putting eyeshadow on. It's like a, it's different, but then you, but, or like who you're fucking, those are like actions, right? Mm -hmm. And those things, what we need to frame them through like the lens of like, also like title nine, right? That's why it was so big that they considered uh, sexuality as part of sex discrimination in the, that recent Right. Like that's right. It's because it's jurisprudence. We need to be all based. I hope I'm using that word correctly. I'm not a legal scholar. I believe you are. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay, good. <clears throat> but like, uh, yeah, it's just like, it's based on like the culture that we're in where like, that's legally what's required to fight for rights and be an activist in like, you know, that sort of way. Plus that we're up against a, a Christian dominant society where there's the belief in that that world of like you've got a soul that's just like this part of you can never change uh and also it's really interesting too how like neuroscience or genetics is sort of like the secular version of the soul like the way they talk about it like they replaced the soul with these other like scientific things so um but anyways it's so it's like also in combat against those rhetorics plus the legal system. It's just like a perfect storm, of course, to be like, and also plus American self-centricness. It's this perfect storm of being very much centered on like, this is how I understand myself and like anything else and anyone else can screw off, you know, like, like, which is great. And then also on the other hand, like gender is not about how you understand yourself. It's what you do. Like same with sexuality. It's not it's, I mean, it's partially, it's not, not that it, of, of course, it's how you understand yourself too, but it's more than that. It's what you do. It's how other people perceive you and interact with you. It's how institutions categorize you. And I think also people don't like thinking about those things because it, it takes away, it, it reveals how we have less agency than what we want to have. Right. And so that's also very heartbreaking when you think about like, oh, right. Like my gender isn't just how I think of myself. It's also the way that strangers see me on the street. My gender is also how the forms I have to fill out when I go to the doctor's office. It's uh, the bathroom I have to go into. It's the buildings I have to be in. It's it's so much more than just your own self-perception, but all those other things oftentimes 
are like terrible and shitty. And so it's so much easier to focus on just on like, well, this is how I see myself and this is how I understand myself because it, that it gives you agency and control, which, you know, as a marginalized person in the world, you don't have very much agency or control. So for all these reasons, it's just like this, it makes a lot of sense that people are so identitarian centricness. And like I said, I think the implication is when I'm like, I feel all sorts of ways that I feel badly about it, like, or I hate it or something, right? I think that's like the implication when you say that. But I also, it's more like, I think it's just complicated and I don't really like it because it's not true, but also true isn't always the most important thing when it comes to like making sure people are like living happy, good lives, which is like, I think also another thing that people don't, don't like. So then they re they basically take these things that are like not backed and are rhetorically incredibly powerful. And then because they're powerful, then they are like, oh, it's true because, you know, truth is like very important to a lot of people. Not that truth isn't, I think truth is an amazing thing to seek, but I also am so lost in post-structural, everything's contextual to ever be like, yeah. I know what the truth is on literally anything personally, but um, anyways, that was a ramble. What do you think? No, that was, that was great. Well, so I agree with you um, in almost everything you said. I mean, there wasn't anything that was like, I disagree here. Um, I think that our fixation, maybe I could put that better, our investment in our identities are often a way through a way through establishing community, a way through rejecting patriarchal oppression, often it can become our own shackles too. So I discussed this a few episodes back in my, um, here. I was recently, I had a conversation with my friend who was, you know, girlfriend of mine. And she said, you know, I feel like you're making a lot of conversations about you right now. And I need you to hear me out. And I realized I had to take some time to think about it. I realized, you know, as a non-binary person, I often get perceived as a gay man and I don't want to be perceived that way. I can't control how everyone's going to perceive me. So I need to kind of psychologically just be like, well, that's what's going to happen. And also I know myself. And I think what was happening is in the process of me grappling with that identity, I was often trying to relate to a lot of cis women in ways that I just simply could not because their experiences are not my own. And I had to accept the fact they also don't understand what it's like to be me. So like my self, my quote unquote self-absorption is not about trying to take up their space. It's a way of me forming my own identity and developing the vocabulary. But it runs the risk of taking up a space that um, should be less centralized on individuals and more about collectivity. Yeah, I also, I'm, I think the idea of, uh, uh, this also just makes me think of this, I've been thinking a lot about like the zero sum quality of space that we talk about as if like you talking about your experiences as someone who's experiences with gender is literally nowhere in any media rhetoric or discourse except for like in niche TikTok. Mm -hmm. The idea that you are taking up so much space and like taking away, it's like there's a, there's an abundance of space. There's no limitation except for like in a building, like this is rhetoric here. There's not like a limited quantity of rhetoric that exists. People are talking constantly and writing and meet and whatever. Um, but also it's like, I, don't know, I, I, I sometimes I feel this way when I'm talking to like very like 
medically focused binary gendered trans people where I'll talk about my experience as a non-binary person who like isn't not in a binary gender situation. It's not like I'm not adjacent to that. It's not like I don't have a relationship to it, but I'm also very like, you know, I don't like the binary very much. And I talk a lot about that and they'll be like, you're being transphobic. How could you? And I'm like, you're literally of the community that we're in have all the power and rhetorical weight in our media, in our culture, like non-binary people, we don't have the, I think about the, um, the, the, that movie that came out about trans media representation and like basically telling people what not to do right uh, um, on Netflix. It's a great film. I love so much about it. Is and it disclosure? also disclosure. Yeah. Yes. Just to clarify. Yes. So I remember watching it. And of course I, I'm always watching things with a critical eye whenever I can, um, because I think it's fun. Um, shout out to Bell Hooks for the oppositional gaze. If you, that's oh a great my. article. Oh. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, that movie was, it's phenomenal if we're talking only about binary medically transitioning folks. It's great for that. And also there was not a, there was basically barely a whisper of a breath about non-binary or gender non-conforming people like as far as representation, except for one trans person basically saying, oh my God, those non-binary people are so lucky. They don't have to have these like terrible media depictions. Like, oh my God, they're just, wow. How lucky they are to be invisible. Cause like they wouldn't, they don't have to go through what we go through of like being seen at all. I'm like, how fucking dare you? I know. Like, invisibility is not fun. Like you all like that by saying that you're taking up you're using what little power and privilege you get from making a Netflix documentary to completely erase a whole community whose word you took from us like trans I think about this all the time how transgender was a word for literal any and all gender expansiveness and then binary medical transitioning folks once again who I'm not not that like I've done I've done a little here and there you know like I'm not but they came in in the late nineties, took the word. And then now mainstream culture, when you ask a random, like Joe, what's transgender mean? They're not going to say, oh, people who are breaking free from gender roles or anything like that. They're going to be like, oh yeah, it's like a male to female person. And like, right. I'm like, y'all took my word I could have had. I mean, I was too young for, I was, you know, I wasn't using yeah. them at that point, but I'm like, y'all, and you took our word for the gender expansiveness made it your own. And then now we're making documentaries saying that like the people who invented the word that you're using are so lucky for being invisible. Like what the fuck is that about? Makes me so pissed. I really appreciate you saying that because a lot of these conversations haven't been said about non-binary people specifically. We're still, we still are doing conversations about, you know, transgender representation and just, you know, transgender activism that needs to happen, healthcare accessibility, things like that. People think that these conversations can't happen at the same time. And like, I remember when like around like 2014, 2015, when, pe- when like um, Laverne Cox was featured on Time Magazine and, you know, like transgender issues were like en vogue or like peak en vogue. Yeah, the trans time. tipping point. Yes. The trans tipping point. Thank you. Um, People like thought that it was going to like obscure gay rights issues. It's like, no, like they're not mutually exclusive. Two things can exist at the same time. Um, I have often felt and when I was referring to gatekeeping, I have often felt and I'm not saying this to be like transgender people are terrible because of this. Never. No, I love them. Yeah, I I would take a I would take a I would take one of these like these trans folks I was talking about 
any day over a lot over of six people. people. Sorry. Like, thank you. Next. Um, yeah. It's just that I just don't, the gatekeepingness is a little, you know, for a politics that claims to be inclusive and safe for all queer people, the gatekeepingness can be very discouraging. Um, like, I remember with like the example you gave with disclosure, I remember reading uh, Susan Stryker's Transgender History. And she spoke about either non-binary people and gender queer people in such a way that it sounded really dismissive. And I was like, you know, I really appreciate your work, but like you have clout and the rhetorical framing of that is going to influence a lot of people in terms of how they talk about non-binary people and, you know, non right. So I feel like once again, I, I just feel like it would be better. I, I am really a big proponent of just being honest about your subjectivity like so that like when you do say something like that it's okay we all know that you have you're human you've got blind spots right okay susan striker you are not a non-binary person that's chill like and you're talking from your experience as a transsexual woman fuck yeah like and just make it clear from the start that you know you you are writing from this position it's going to be a great history book but don't purport to be like i that's like well that's more of like a critique not of susan striker but of academia in general and this yeah. this need to present things as objective truth which are really just a subjective interpretation of things that have occurred it's that's so why like, academic writing is so inaccessible also because they're trying to be. frame that as a truth a lot of it not all hashtag yeah. not all academic writing well, and also, I think that's once again is like, then we're also primed to then be like, ah, Susan Stryker didn't talk about this thing that is has nothing to do with her own personal experience. How dare she right. say it in this way that wasn't like exactly how I wanted to? Like, I, I mean, I once again, I know that feeling that you're talking about, but it's because of the style that we're expected to write in mm-hmm. and you're not allowed. So it's so funny because once again, the Internet is so replete with personal experience and discourse. And then the world where, you know, some of the most amazing ideas, like within like queer and gender studies and that whole world, it's like the lack of personal, personal subjectivity is completely divorced. And that makes that it's not that one or other is inherently better or worse or more accessible or less accessible. I think sometimes the vocabulary styling of academia is inaccessible because it's just a lot of words, but I don't think yeah, the ideas are. Yeah. 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 Of course. And like, but I think it's just more like they've been separated for some reason and they're entirely different worlds where like, and I think, I think some people on the internet could do, could do a little bit of less self-centricness mm-hmm. in terms of analyzing broader issues and structures. Right. But then I also think that academics probably could do with a little bit more clarity about who they are and where they're coming from, you know? Right. Which is why we stand contrapoints because she's a, nice balance between the two or often uh, yes the way. Um, yeah, yeah 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 i think about one time i was in a uh, uh feminist uh i was in feminist international relations and we read this article that was like a critique of feminism and how and i looked up the, the author and i hadn't looked and it was just like some old curmudgeonly cis guy who wore like had terrible fashion i was like i said in the class like i refuse to listen to this man saying about gender when he looks like that and my professor was like <gasps> You can't say that. That's like an ad hominem attack. And I was like, I don't trust anyone who says anything about gender who is doing exactly what they've been told to do, like verbatim. Like, right. 
aesthetically, and once again, it's like not that aesthetics are the most important thing, but I think that there's, I think people, you have, you should be able, you should disclose whether or not you completely conform entirely to cisnormative aesthetics and whether or not that like affects how people trust you or not. Like, do you, like, I just think like people should be more self aware, not necessarily disclose. Disclose is a funny word there. So you are a gender consultant and also an artist. Can you explain? what a gender consultant is, and also just other works that you do as an artist outside of TikTok. Okay, yes. Um, So being a gender consultant started for me in grad school where the Museum of Fine Arts Boston hired me to help them with their gender bending fashion exhibition. It was an amazing history exhibition on gender bending fashion. It was great. I came in, helped them with all the wall texts. um, And then, and. From there, it sort of just, I was like, oh, I could do that. I've done it for some places here and there. I also sort of kind of also entails like workshops and trainings and other gender-based projects. So for instance, like I currently have a, a piece up at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum where I was able to do an interpretation, an, uh, an audio interpretation where I speak about um, one of Titian's poesies, um, Diana and Acteon. So, like things like that, as far as like institutional things, you know, the classic DEI workshops about gender and sexuality, um, you know, giving advice. And then, so that's the institutional sort of side of it. And the other side that I, I launched sort of my own individual, like one-on-one gender consult service where, you know, people can come in and sort of have a, a conversation with, you know, a theorist and a historian, someone who's been there and done that to have like a, non-pathologized, no, like non-therapy place to just come and like talk about, you know, I'm thinking about these labels. How would I go about deciding about them? Oh, like I am thinking about, do I like the word trans? Tell me about the history of it. I, um, or people coming in who are like, I have a trans kid. I have no clue what to do. I have a million questions or, you know, even people who are like, I want to make a drag persona. Can you help me pick my aesthetic? Like literally it's, it's amazing people. I I've, and I also get to speak with people literally all over the world. I've had people from Turkey and India, um, all over Europe from, uh, Australia, just like, I, I, I just, people are coming to talk about this topic, both from a personal, but also just people who want sort of more expert knowledge about it. So, um, it's like somewhere in between like tutoring and coaching and like, I just saw it say consult because it, you know, it's, it's one of those fun, meaningless words like queer or non-binary, right. you know? Um, uh, so that's where I, that's sort of what it means for me. It's sort of like a, the in-between of like consultation work. And, you know, I'm also just like a very critical creative thinker. So being able to give feedback and bounce ideas around is like one of my expertises. So that's sort of the, the, that world. And then that sort of just veers into the, the artistic creative side of me. I'm just like, I just am like a, I'm an insatiable creator. I can't help myself. I can't stop. It's, um, and so, and once again, that sort of lends itself back to also being, having a critical eye is like having a creative eye and being able to see things from a creative perspective, it all blends together. So as far as like what kind of art I make that I don't talk probably very much about on the internet is on occasion, uh, is, 
Um, I paint, I've always painted or like worked with like inks and like pens and markers. I sometimes been on procreate these days a little bit, not as much right now, but you know, so visual arts to a certain extent, um, what else I did drag for a long time for like a good two years. That's not that long, but I get to drag for about two years. I've, and it, that only petered out last winter, um, because just the digital drag production turnaround was so much work. Honestly, I also recently this summer produced a play and directed it. Um, which I think there'll be more of that coming soon too. Um, I did lighting and theater, theater lighting design in undergrad. I worked for the theater and I, (laughs) I feel like my undergrad uh, jobs are such a good example of like the duality of my like brain where like I was running the theater at my school and like doing all the lights and tech work and load-ins. And then also by day I was running like a psycholinguistics like research lab. And just like, those are very like my two sides, analytical, creative. I also think my like social media presence, I consider like an art project to a certain extent, not really like pretty, like that's kind of, it's like not, not, it's not very explicit. I don't really have a particular like thesis behind it, but I'm, it's not, not a thing, you know? Um, I feel like queer people struggle to find a thesis with social media because we're a blend of all things. I'm. Literally, like the I I the idea of just like a jack of all trades is I like, it's me. I like, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with everything. So right, I recently had someone send me a message on uh my Instagram who follows me on TikTok saying like, "Are you an artist?" And I was like, "Well, I mean, I I'm a poet and a PhD student. I'm like, my TikTok is trash comedy, but like I consider it art because I have to think of ideas and I have to execute them via screen. So (laughs) art is art. So how can our listeners here support you? Yeah. So, um, I mean, a follow my TikTok, which is mix Matisse and my Instagram, which is, uh, at Matisse.dupont. That's a great way. Like my stuff, share it, all that good stuff. That's one way to support. Um, If you work for an institution and you think that, you know, having someone to come in to talk about, you know, gender in any way, shape or form, either as like a consultant or as an educator, I am around, book me, you know, send me an email. Hello at MatisseDupont.com. I am very happy to come on in. And then what else? What else? Um, Another thing that you can do is I offer a, for those individual gender consults, I offer a free wait list because, you know, a lot of people can't afford the time with me basically as like a consultant, right? So I also offer a free wait list and I offer, I I put out one of those per week of my own time that I'm donating, but I also, I, I have a space on my website where you can donate more so I can like Basically, you're, you can pay for my time so I can donate and give more free sessions more often. Um, so that's another way to support me and also help me support people who need to like talk through some stuff, you know? Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Amazing. This has been incredible. Matisse Dupont, thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Happy Saturday and happy Saturday. Yes. Happy Saturday, everyone.